0: One of the um, biggest mysteries uh, in aviation history um, was the disappearance of the Malaysia Airlines flight uh, MH370. Uh, It it went down on March 8, 2014. There were 227 passengers, uh, 12 crew members, and it completely disappeared going from Malaysia to Beijing. Uh, no idea where it crashed or what happened to it. Uh, with the exception of just a little bit of debris that washed up years later, uh, there's no, no indication of where this is. It has not been found uh, after repeated search, after search, after search, trying to find uh, this plane that went down. Uh, but in the process of searching for that plane, there were o- other discoveries that were made. Uh, they found some ships that had sunk 140 years earlier uh, as they were searching and, and using, um, as they were searching through and using sonar to be able to find this. And so they find these ships uh, down at the bottom of the ocean, but they didn't find them right away. They had all of this sonar footage, and it was a couple years later uh, that uh, there were these researchers that were going through the, the sonar and found these two ships. Now, they're not really sure what these ships are or w- which ones they are. Uh, it was, uh, not, there were not really great records. They've narrowed it down to a couple different possibilities. But it it, it reminds us that in the process of looking for something, sometimes other things are found, right? Have you gone on a search through your house to find that one missing item, and you never found that item, but you found something else that you had been missing, that thing that was lost and now is found? There are these moments of incidental discovery where in the process of, of going about looking for something some other thing is found. Things can be found while looking for something else. And sometimes those discoveries can significantly impact our lives and change our lives for the positive. One of these examples is the story of Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. And, and you've got this, this young brother right, who is favored by his father, and all of his other brothers are jealous that Joseph is the favored one. And of course, this creates tension. This creates conflict. And so the brothers do what any good older brother would do. They sell him into slavery and get rid of him, get rid of that younger brother. And they're done. They, they, they tell their, their father that Joseph is dead. And then they continue on their way. Well, in the meantime, Joseph goes through this series of events to the point where he is second in command in Egypt. He is Pharaoh's right-hand man through this series of unfortunate events. And when famine hits the land, Jacob sends his sons to Egypt where they know that there is food to go get food so their family can survive. And so they get to Egypt and they go before the ruler to ask for food. This ruler is Joseph, of course, but they don't recognize Joseph. And so they continue through this exchange, this kind of bizarre uh, trickery and, and, and passing back and forth with Joseph and his brothers, and they still don't recognize him. And we get to the point in Genesis 45 where Joseph finally breaks down and reveals to them who he is. And so we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 45 starting in verse 3, if you want to start turning there. Joseph keeps his identity a secret up to this point. He wants to make sure that his father is still alive. He wants to make sure that his brother Benjamin is taken care of and is alive and, and, and tries to find a way to get Benjamin there. And he finally gets to this point where he is ready to let his brothers know who he is. Genesis 45, verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? All right, so so you're the brothers, and you're before this very powerful person who's who's providing for your needs, and he identifies himself as your long-lost brother. And so there is this moment of shock. They're unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence, rightfully so. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent, that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it is not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your households and all who belong to you will become destitute." He continues to say, "You see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father all about, and tell about tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt, and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly." Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them and afterward his brothers talked with him and so we have this incredible scene where where joseph is finally revealing himself and instead of pointing the fingers, instead of accusing, instead of punishing or, or being vindictive toward his brothers, there's this moment of forgiveness. And this moment of forgiveness can happen because Joseph is seeing God's work at play here. That what they were doing to, to, to be evil, God was using for good. That, that it wasn't the brothers who sent Joseph to Egypt. It was God who sent Joseph to Egypt. It was God's plan. God was at work. And so the brothers are in this moment of discovery here where they they go seeking one thing. They go seeking food and find something very different. They find their brother that they really thought was in prison or dead at that point. And here is this surprising discovery that God has been at work in ways that they had not even imagined possible to save them and to save their families. The brothers have been seeking food in a time of famine, and instead they, they discover a God who has been watching out for them, a God who has been making plans for them in ways that they had not even seen. Jesus gives us this parable of a similar story. He says in Matthew chapter 13 that the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. This treasure is hidden in the field, and and when a man is, is walking along, he comes upon this treasure, he finds this treasure, and so he rushes off in joy, sells all that he has to go and legally buy that field. And the kingdom of God is also like this merchant who is out looking for pearls, out pursuing pearls, and finds one of incredible worth, and goes and sells all that he has to go and purchase this pearl of great value. And so there is this discovery of something, sometimes looking for it, sometimes accidentally. One one is just walking along out in this field and discovers this treasure. The, the, The pearl merchant is out actively pursuing and looking for something. But both, whether it's accidental or on purpose, they discover something incredible. And when they discover this incredible thing, they go and sacrifice everything, sell everything, And go and purchase it. They go and surrender to God. And so the kingdom of heaven has this kind of value in our lives. It's it's worth the investment of everything that we possess, this incredibly valuable thing that we discover along the way. And so some of us wander around and accidentally discover the kingdom of God. Others of us are actively looking and pursuing. We're looking for meaning and purpose in our lives. We're, we're, we're looking for something of value. And in that search, we, we are presented with the gospel and realize that it is worth surrendering all that we have to become a part of the kingdom of God. That we may be looking for something else, but to discover something greater in the kingdom of God. And so while accidentally discovering God is definitely a part of our faith journey, it can happen, God often operates in the world with more of a a seeking discovery process. Where we are seeking, we're looking, even if we're not sure that we're looking after God, there is something in us that is seeking God, looking to connect with God. I think for some, and and for me, one of the challenges that I've had in my faith journey is, is I have waited for these moments of encounter with God, that I want this big thing to happen, something to pop up and say, yes, there is God. This is what God wants you to do. This is the writing on the wall for what he wants for your life. We wait for those moments, and we wait for those moments. I accidentally want to to stumble upon this, this incredible encounter with God. But more often than not, our faith journey is this seeking of God persistently and diligently, day after day after day, and seeing God in these little moments, being still and hearing God in the whisper. And that while we're waiting for some big event to happen, some, some great supernatural encounter with God, we miss all that God has placed for us along the way. And so we are still and listen, listening for God. In Jeremiah, in Jeremiah God says, You will seek me and find me that we, we seek God and you will find me when you seek with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. We seek God and he will be found. But he won't always be found the way we thought he would be found. That as we're seeking, as we are walking through life, listening for God, looking for God, we will discover God in ways that we never anticipated. That in those moments of a whisper, you will hear and experience and encounter God in ways that you never anticipated. But if we seek, we will find. God says, I will be found by you. It's a promise given to us. Think about playing hide-and-go-seek with a toddler, right? So Hope is at the age now. She's two, and she is getting into hide-and-go-seek with Annabeth, and neither one of them are very good at (laughs) hide-and-go-seek. And so the two of them playing together is especially bad because anything that a toddler, everything that they want is to be found. And so they never stay hidden very long, they hide, and before you can go look, they're jumping out and saying, here I am, because they want to be found. They don't want to be hidden, and God is that way for us. But he doesn't want to be hidden. He wants to be found, and so when we seek, when we look, when we listen, God is saying, here I am. I want to be found. Find me. God wants to be found. And so when we're on our way doing things that, we, that are expected of us, doing things that, that are normal every day for us, there are these moments where these incidental discoveries happen where we think we're on one path and, and God reveals himself in a new way. He says, I'm here. I'm here. And so will you be on the lookout for God saying, I'm here? Will you be on the lookout for God saying, I want to be found? They won't be accidental discoveries because God doesn't work with Accidents. And so we, we expect the unexpected on our way doing what is expected. We go through our normal lives. We do what's expected of us. But will we expect the unexpected to happen in those moments? Expect that God will show up in surprising ways. Expect that, that God will be shouting, I'm here. And so will we walk with that sense of expectancy? Because not only are we seeking God, but, but God is looking for us too. He's seeking us, pursuing us. And so God has placed things in our lives and, and in our own makeup and in our DNA that create a need to seek. And God is at work even, even before we recognize that need to seek. That the brothers of Joseph are seeking food when they really needed to be seeking God. And God had placed these things in the story, into the timeline, long before they even knew that there would be a famine. And so for us, a seed is planted in us that, that helps us know that, that, lo- that the life we know is not the whole story, that the, just the things that we're seeing on the journey that we're on, there's more to it than just that, that the seed sets us on a search for something far beyond what we can see, that we're looking beyond ourselves, looking further into what God is doing around us. But whether we're actively searching for that or, or we're just stumbling along over it, over these incidental discoveries, we, we shouldn't assume that it's all up to us, that, that God is at work making, making a discovery of Him possible because He wants to be found. Sometimes we hear of someone having a, a, a seemingly sudden conversion to Christ. But if you get to, to hear more of their story and, and hear about what's going on in their lives, you see that there are these things that have, have been building up over the days and weeks and months. Things that are happening to, to awaken a person's spirituality to be receptive to Christ. Maybe there was a friend that, that had said something to them that, that started this person thinking, or, or there was something that, seeming, that was seemingly... Um, mundane, but it, but it caught their attention in some way. The, per, the person may have, have read something that caused them to, to think through about the issue, issues and, and to see more of an eternal perspective. This is God's grace preparing the heart for what seems to be an incidental or accidental discovery that's life-changing God is at work through this, even when we can't see it. The author M. Scott Peck wrote uh, The Road Less Traveled and talks about these seemingly accidental experiences. And though he was not a church person, he gradually became aware of the activity of God in his life and eventually became a Christian. And so in his book, he tells of the story of, or in his book, he told of some of his patients that, that had survived serious emotional traumas. And in those moments and in those stories, Peck came to think of the force of goodness in the world. He eventually identified this force using a word called serendipity, which the, de- the dictionary defines as the gift of finding valuable or agreeable things not sought for. Serendipity, the gift of finding valuable or agreeable things not sought for. Finding something, not looking for it. And then he realized that grace actually has a very similar definition. The gift of finding something valuable that was not sought for. And so he would use these words interchangeably, serendipity and grace. And so several years later, Peck was on a flight to Minneapolis, and he wanted to have that time flying uh, to get some writing done. And so you know, he would do everything to non-verbally say, I'm not interested in conversation, right? How many of you have done that on a plane? Like, how how many ways can i say i don't want to have a conversation you know with earbuds and computer or tablet or book or whatever newspaper and so a man came and took the seat next to him and and peck stayed buried in his work and the man sat beside him with an open novel and so they flew side by side to get to Buffalo for a layover, no speaking between the two of them. And, and then they, they had the layover and and reboarded onto the next leg of the flight and ended up sitting next to each other again. And for another 45 minutes, there's this lack of conversation as noses are stuck in books. And after 45 minutes of this, the, the man next to him says, I, I hate to bother you, but you, would, you don't happen by chance to know the meaning of the word serendipity, do you? And so this catches Peck's attention and answers that as far as he knew, he was the only person who had written a substantial portion of a book on the subject of serendipity. That perhaps serendipity uh, at that precise moment, and that it was perhaps serendipity that at that precise moment, the man stumbled upon this word and asked for a definition of serendipity because here he was sitting next to an authority on the subject, and so, of course, this leads to further conversation back and forth as Peck explained the book and his understanding of serendipity and his integration of psychology and religion. And the man said, well, I don't know about religion anymore. He says, I don't know about religion and went on to tell Peck what he was think- that he was thinking about leaving the church he was done with religion and in response peck told him that that questioning sometimes helps individuals move from the hand-me-down religion of childhood to a mature personal one the questions are not a bad thing and so when the two landed in minneapolis the man said i don't have the foggiest idea what just happened but maybe i don't need to leave the church And so what the man learned from Peck in that flight was this incidental finding, the power of God made it an important one, that this moment was important to him, this looking at a word, reading a word, asking in this conversation. And so we look back at the story of Joseph and we see this moment of serendipity, this moment where the brothers get to a place looking for food, and the encounter is something completely different than what they anticipated, different than what they had planned for. They got so much more than what they came looking for. They came looking for a handout and instead received the grace of God that would sustain them into generations to come. And so is there something in us that we are looking for, something that we are pursuing, something that we, we cannot quite find? Are there, are there paths that we're on that seem like they are mundane? They seem like they're not substantial. They seem like we're going down this, this road that is just worthless. But in those moments, can we discover and encounter God in ways that we haven't before? Will we be in tune to God's work around us? Will we discover him even in these moments that seem so dark, so mundane, so frantic, so disorienting, so discouraging, In the moments that we travel through, God is saying, here I am. I'm ready to be found. Let's be standing together. I want to read this, this prayer over us this, this morning. As we enter into our prayer time, we, we are all, as, as a church, we are entering into Very unknown territory. As individuals, we're all on these different paths. Some of us come here today just coasting along. Some of us come here in in moments of victory, having experienced breakthrough. Some of us are are coming here on, on journeys that are discouraging or disorienting or frantic. We're coming at all different places. So, so whether it's as an individual or as a church that we, we go into uncertain times, we we go down these roads, and God will reveal himself. I absolutely believe it. That he will reveal himself and make himself known in ways that we cannot even imagine today. If we will seek him first. And so I read this prayer over us this morning, and then we'll open up into to a time of prayer. We'll have shepherds down front. You can pray together as families, as life groups, as friends, or you can come forward for prayer. It says, Loving God, like Joseph, we don't always understand why things happen the way they do, why our plans and dreams fail And we find ourselves facing challenge after challenge and disappointments after disappointments. Yet, like Joseph, we also believe that you are at work in our lives and that you have a larger plan and purpose for each one of us. God, give us faith to trust in you no matter what challenges we face. God, give us courage to place our dreams and our ambitions in your hands and then follow where you lead without hesitation, confident that your loving presence goes with us. Amen.